Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. You know what would be really nice? To kick back and have a quiet and easy life. Oh. Interestingly, God had promised the Old Testament Israelites quiet and ease, but what did they do? In spite of years of prophecy, warning and encouragement via the prophet Jeremiah, they were more concerned with what people thought of them. They ignored God's word and then wondered why it felt like God had abandoned them. But there was still hope, as there is for us today. Let's join Dr. Corbett now to find out more from the discussion titled Return and Have Quiet and Ease. In this section, we're going to see that this is Jeremiah in the midst of the people that he had come to him after Jerusalem had been destroyed. So the very thing that he said would happen has happened. And so they've come to him and said, now what do we do? Everything you said, Jeremiah, has happened, just as you said it would happen. So we know that you hear from God. We know that you are a prophet who hears from God. So we're going to ask you to ask God, what should we do? And the prophet said to them, remain here and serve the king of Babylon. Do not under any circumstances go down to Egypt, thinking that you can hide or find safety there. So what do they do? They go down to Egypt. Again, it's a statement of the rebellion of their hearts, as we'll see in a moment. This is what he had to deal with. He could hear all he wanted, and we read it in his story, because really the book of Jeremiah is about the man and his message. He wanted to get married, he wanted to have a family, and he wanted ease and comfort. He just wanted to live a quiet life, <laughs> raise his children have a home and just be left in peace. But there wasn't going to be peace for the land, and there's a reason for this. So Jeremiah was born around 650 BC. Jerusalem was finally destroyed one of the 27 times the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed in its history by Nebuchadnezzar in 588 BC. You do the maths, you realise Jeremiah is somewhere late 60s, early 70s. Here we are a couple of years after that. So he's possibly now just into his 70s. And he has been prophesying to these people for over 50 years. I call that faithful. I think of pastors like Charles Simeon. I don't know how many have heard of Charles Simeon. He took on a church called Holy Trinity in Cambridge, England. And when he took it on, he had just become a Christian, believe it or not, even though he was an Anglican minister. He got converted and he began to preach that all people must repent and turn to Christ. And back in the, the uh, I think this was the late 1700s, the people of Cambridge didn't like being told that they were not Christians. Because after all, they went to church. In fact, many of them had their own pews in the church. In fact, not only did they have their own pews, they put a gate on the end so that no one could sit in their pew and only they had the key. 
And when Charles Simeon came along, he began to preach that you must repent, be born again and turn to Christ and give your life over to Christ. Just simply going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just being born in England doesn't make you a Christian. You need to give your life to Christ. And the result was the people of the church to which he was appointed by the bishop to be their pastor refused to have him as their pastor. I call that a church conflict. They, every one of them, locked the gates on the pews so that when visitors came to the church in Cambridge, no one could sit down unless they sat down on the slate. And so what did Charles Simeon do? Well, what many pastors would do would go, I've obviously got a church conflict here. I think it's time for me to move on. That's not what Charles, the young Charles Simeon did. He was in his early 20s. It's not what he did. He got up as close as he could to the pulpit and he preached the gospel. There were people standing in the aisles. They heard. They came back the next week. He said, I have a very simple strategy for how I'm going to win this conflict. All I have to do is outlive everybody who has a key to these gates. He was the pastor in that church for 55 years, served those people into his late 70s. And exactly, his strategy exactly worked. After a while, these people died off, they opened the gates, and visitors were welcome, and the church was filled up. And he became a hero in the Church of England. He was faithful for 55 years. Isn't it easy, I think, to go on in your walk with Christ and just kind of let things lie a bit? You know, if we ask some of the spiritual discipline questions that it takes for someone to really grow and be mature in Christ, when was the last time you, you read your Bible just to read it, not in a rush? When was the last time you took a day and fasted just to hear the voice of God? When was the last time you, you decided to just go away and get quiet and have God speak into your soul. These are things that are very easy as you get old and go, yeah, that's what I used to do in the old days. I don't do that anymore because I don't have to because I'm old. Jeremiah's an old man now and he's been faithfully serving God for these years. What was he up against? He was up against the, the rebellion of the people and he was warning them because God said, this is where my blessing is in being submitted to me, representing me. Here's where I will remove my blessing if you dishonour me. And there were certain things that God had said would happen if they dishonoured him. This was not a people who didn't know what these were. This was a people who had formed a covenant agreement. That is, they knew exactly the terms to which they were getting involved with God with. And yet, they still chose to rebel. Jeremiah lays the blame firmly and squarely at three groups of people. And for the sake of being... A preacher, and we preachers like to have everything start with the same letter. It's priests, prophets, and I could have said kings, but kings doesn't start with P, so we're going to go with princes. I assume every king was at one stage a prince. But you got the idea. These three groups of people, the priests, the spiritual leaders, had failed in their responsibilities. The prophets, we encounter one of them by name. His name's Hananiah. And Hananiah is someone who may have started out as a man of God, but we see him now more interested in power and money and prestige and winning the approval of people 
than being faithful to God. And Jeremiah has something very strict to say about the prophets who had become corrupt. And he also has something very strong to say about the royal family, the kings, the princes, the, the people who were meant to lead the people. And as we see in his dealings with the final king that he dealt with, Zedekiah, Zedekiah says things like this, I cannot do what the Lord wants because the people will stone me. <laughs> the people will be upset with me if I do what God wants. And there's, I think, a lesson in that because we, we need to understand that serving God will take courage. In fact, I want to make this point from looking at the overall story here in Jeremiah as we come to this point. Because Judah's leaders had failed to lead courageously and bear the responsibility that God had given them, the people fell into, and this is what they fell into, these three things, and these three things are deadly for any society. They fell into ignorance, ignorance of God's word. They no longer knew what God's word said. In fact, the opening chapters show us just how desperate this situation had become. They, discover, they had recently discovered God's word and it was a shock to them and they set about, they set about to keep it from the people. And then, of course, it led, when you're not familiar with what God's word says, it leads you into idolatry, false concepts of God, where you begin to put other things ahead of where only God deserves to be in your life. That's an idol. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians that food can become an idol. He says this, There are some people who have made food an idol and their belly, their God. Who would have thought that? Such things like that can happen. But anything can become an idol if you put it ahead of God. I'm sure sport can become an idol. In fact, I'm positive sport is an idol to many Australians. We've all met them. And then, of course, it leads to immorality. And in the paper that I wrote this week entitled We Are Not Your Enemy, I try to make the point that sexual immorality has laws associated with it, not because God wants to curtail our enjoyment of physical intimacy, but quite the contrary. He wants to maximise its blessing to us. And so he has six categories of sexual immorality that he warns against. And so the people were practising ignorance and idolatry and immorality, and that literally meant that young children, young babies were being thrown into the furnace as an act of worship to these strange gods. Very cruel. And Jeremiah was heartbroken over all this. And so despite his pleadings and his warnings, we're at this point now where within about eight years or so of this prophecy, Jeremiah would die. He died in Egypt. During this time, quite possibly, Jeremiah begins to undertake to write the history of his people. So the next time you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you're reading two books written by Jeremiah. He wrote that. He wrote that to show generations to come, this is why we're in the mess we're in. This is where it all began. So despite Jeremiah's warnings and pleadings and God calling him to call the people, plead with the people to repent, they didn't. 
And what does that tell us about what God calls us to do? It tells us that success may not look like what we think. (laughs) Success might look like us being faithful to God and it's not up to us how people respond. So what does that mean about us being a witness? Is it possible to be a silent witness? Possibly. But can you be only a silent witness? I don't think so. And before it sounds like I'm wagging a finger at you, there is this three pointing back at me. I'm very aware of this. I want to be bold, but sensitive to the fact that I hang with people, particularly in the, the world of tennis, who the furthest thing from their mind is God. And I want to be sensitive to that as well. So here's what I find confusing though. These people are hearing Jeremiah prophesy, they ridicule him, they mock him, but then they see the very thing he prophesied come to pass. And I call that being vindicated. What he said would happen did happen. Not just once, every time. And yet despite Jeremiah being vindicated, they were still un. Repentant. And this tells me something about the human heart, the human condition. The human condition, Jeremiah says in his book, is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And so we need a miracle to change our hearts. And this is actually good news, not bad news. This is good news. It's good news because God says he offers, he's prepared to give us that miracle. He's prepared to transform our hearts and give us a new heart. So if you think, I can't become a Christian because it sounds like the commitment's too great, oh man, you've made my day because I reckon you get it. And here's the point. You can't do it. It is a gift from God. And we're going to see this is a part of what we call the new covenant. This is where God is offering something and Jeremiah refers to it. So the remnant, that is the remnant, the people who are left over, The remnant of Judah, their final rebellion, as I just mentioned from the outset, was to flee into Egypt. (laughs) Even though God said, don't go there, they did. So the book starts with rebellion and the book ends with their rebellion. And we're coming down the home stretch now. This is part 150, by the way, of Jeremiah. We're nearly there. Well done. So why did the people refuse to hear Jeremiah's last prophecy to them. Don't go down to Egypt. Why did they refuse? My hunch is they they already had a a type of preconceived idea of what God wanted. Because after all, Jeremiah had been saying, if you turn to the Lord and and, uh, do what God wants, then, then you'll be safe. And yet, they just still rejected it. And here's a part of the point. Egypt in the Bible, as many things in the Bible are, it's a type. What's a type? A type is like a, a shadow. It's an example. It's a, it's a symbol. So when we say type, we mean it's like a symbol. Egypt is a symbol, a type of the world. What's the world? Anything that's hostile to God and his word. And so when the New Testament says, uh, for example, Jesus says in John chapter 17, Father, I pray for these who are in the world, but not of the world. The world has a thinking that is hostile to God and hostile to his word. And that's Egypt. That's what Egypt represents. 
So this picture of Jeremiah warning the people, don't go down into Egypt, is the same as us today, Christians, believers, as we try to do what we can to persuade people. Don't forsake God. Don't turn away from God. Don't go into the ways of the world. The ways of the world where they, find, they try to find answers in a bottle, in a pill, in a, in a, in a drug, in, in pot, in dope, in whatever it is, they're trying to find escape and relief. That's the world. And here we have a type of what God wants to do in each one of us. He wants us to trust him even when it doesn't look like he's trustworthy. He is. So what happened when they didn't trust God? What happened when they didn't believe God and his word? Things went from bad to worse. That's what happened. Because here they are in Egypt thinking they're going to flee from Nebuchadnezzar and his army that is sweeping the world, already destroyed their country and destroyed some of the other surrounding countries. And little did they know that within a very short period of time, Nebuchadnezzar would come in and they would be destroyed. If they'd only listened to Jeremiah. It's amazing how much godly counsel and godly wisdom sounds like you know, uh, bad news. It sounds like, oh, you're always spoiling everything. And I was talking with someone earlier today and, and they said they felt bad because they warned someone about something because of the spiritual consequences of it. And before I could say, yeah, but they'll thank you in the end because you probably avoided, helped them avoid years of pain. Before I could even say that, they said, but just recently, after a couple of years, they came to me and said, thank you, that was the best thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) You saved me so much heartache and pain. And if the people had listened to Jeremiah, they literally would have had their lives and they would have literally had not gone through the pain that they ended up going through. And yet, here they are in Egypt. They're they're in fear of their life and they honestly still think God owes them something. (laughs) They think God owes them something. It seems like they feel like God's abandoned us. That's not fair. And yet they'd abandon him. You know, it's like that bumper sticker that says, if God seems far away, guess who moved? And here they are in this situation. And so now Jeremiah is going to do something that he's been doing all his life. And this may be a good lesson for us too. As we seek to share with family members, as we seek to share with struggling brothers and sisters in Christ, we remind them of what God has already said. We remind them of what God's word already says. Can I tell you, a large part of what we do on a Sunday is so important. It's so necessary. And you may not realise it is, but it is. What we do on a Sunday is largely about reminding people of what God has already said. And Jeremiah is doing that right now. These people were in this situation because the prophets, the priests and the princes of Israel, of Judah had not done that, and they should have done that. I'm reading through Second Chronicles at the moment. I love the, bar, the parts where, where you've got King Jehoshaphat, and he stands in front of the people as they're surrounded by the Assyrians, and King Jehoshaphat says, remember what God has done in the past. He can do it again. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> and they're delivered, and it's, go Jehoshaphat. 
jumping Jehoshaphat, well done. <laughs> and then you've got his grandson, Hezekiah, who comes along and he's, he's under threat as well. And he does the same thing. He, he takes a threatening letter from the Assyrians. He brings it into the temple. He puts it right at the altar and he says, God, it's your problem now. <laughs> what a great way to pray. God, you boy, have you got a problem now? <laughs> Whatever your problem is, it's his problem. And, and, and here we have Hezekiah. God, you've got a problem. We're surrounded. They're going to destroy us. Look, I've got this letter that says they're going to do us violence. God, I've only got a teeny tiny little army. I can't defeat them. But God, I need your help. And he reminds the people of times past where God did help. And that's good leadership. And Jera, Jeremiah is... is Mindful of the fact that he told these priests and princes and prophets that they had not done that. Why? Because they feared people more than they feared God. Young people, when you're at a party and someone offers you a drink that you know you shouldn't drink, well, they offer you a tablet you know you shouldn't take, or they offer you something to inhale that you know you shouldn't take? Do you do it because you're more afraid of what they th will think of you than doing what's right? God help us. Can I tell you, our world is in a mess because many people live their lives like that. They do what they think will please others. And in the end, the other people don't really care. And they end up becoming hurt as a result. These people feared man more than they feared God. Now we come to our text. Verse 27. This is Jeremiah speaking to the people, one of the last prophecies that he gives to his people. And it's, I think it's just utterly beautiful because it's Jeremiah telling the people God hasn't abandoned you. In fact, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose, and we're right on track for it. And there's nothing in these two verses that really he hasn't already said, but here he is reminding the people again. But fear not, O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. So most of Judah has already been taken prisoner into the land of Babylon, which is today modern Iraq. And Babylon was a beautiful city right on the river that was the glory of the world of that day. And that's where most of the Jews were, near there, with no hope of return. But this is what Jeremiah says, Jacob, that is Israel, that is Judah, shall return. And look what he says, and this is our text, have quiet and ease. What did Jeremiah want for his own life? He wanted to live just at ease, a quiet life, with a wife and his kids and just be allowed to get on with his life. And he's now saying, we haven't had it. But our descendants will. They'll have it. Why? Well, let's read on. Fear not. Oh, it says, Jacob shall return and have quiet knees and none shall make him afraid. Verse 28. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will make a full end of all the nations to which I have driven you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure. 
and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So this is, this is just intriguing to me that God is saying, what you're going through right now, you have to go through because this is the covenant we entered into. There's a punishment that you agreed would be fair. And so it's happening. I'm a just God. I keep my word. You knew I'd keep my word and I'm keeping it. So this is necessary. But I can I tell you, I'm like any other parent. The goal is not your pain. The goal is your redemption. When a parent disciplines a child, it's not to inflict pain. It shouldn't be. It's to help that child grow, to restore that child, to redeem that child, to make that child a better person. And God's saying the same thing about his people here. You'll have quiet and ease. So what's Jeremiah saying? (laughs) There is coming a hope. For those people who were despairing, and I, and I can imagine that among these people, there were people who said, but we really, really want to get right with God. And he's saying, sorry, you've gone too far and it's too late. But let me tell you, don't despair because this is not for nothing. Even the pain that we're going through will enable a generation to come in which Messiah will be born. And when the Messiah comes, this is the hope. He will bring ease, quiet and comfort. It's the hope of the coming of the new covenant. And in the the new covenant, the hope was rest. Each of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods, you shall not make a god for yourself, you shall not take the name of God in vain, you shall honour God one day out of seven, rest from your normal activity and just come and focus on God for the day and rest. Each of those things are a symbol or a type that one day we will know there is one God in the ultimate state of eternity. There will only be one God. We will not make any other God. We won't want to make any other God. The name of God will be honoured for eternity and we will enjoy perfect rest. But right now we get glimpses of it in the new covenant. The new covenant offers rest. You see, under the old covenant, we saw in the first clip, the priests every day had to offer animal sacrifices. That's a lot of work. And work is the key word. Under the old covenant, they had to work, work, work and do. Under the new covenant, it's pictured in the Sabbath that there there is a time when you cease from work. And the Bible says Jesus is our Sabbath. He's done all the work and now we rest in him. We rest in him. There are some people who don't quite get that. They think it's all about the particular day of the week. I'm not so sure about that, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is our rest. And it actually says that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and following, that there is a rest for the believer, and it's Jesus. The very things of the Ten Commandments as we go on, um, do not kill. Well, it's, it's a type of the fact that we're going to have life for eternity. Do not commit adultery. Why? Because we long for intimacy. We long for that that being loved. Well, in eternity, we will be in the fullest, most complete, most satisfying way. We will be loved. Do not steal. Why? Why would you want to? You've got nothing to steal. It will all be yours anyway. And do not lie. Or sorry, it doesn't say that. It says do not bear false witness. In heaven, we will be we will come into the full knowledge of the truth. This is what awaits us in heaven. And finally, do not covet. You won't have to. <laughs> It'll all be yours. <laughs> Anything you could possibly desire will be yours. You won't be able to covet. It's all there. So the rest 
that the Jews longed for, Jesus has brought. And sometimes people long for all these things and they look for them in all the wrong places. And the prophet Jeremiah is once again reminding the people these things can only be found in God. And here's, I think, the modern application for us today. We all want those things. We all want intimacy. We want love. We really want to know God. I think we're created to know God. We really want to be satisfied with, with knowing that we're loved and that we can love and that, that there's someone who cares. And Christ is the only one who can ultimately fulfill that. If you haven't got a person who gives you that, can I just tell you right now, you are not less of a person. Christ is the only one who can fulfill that. And we sometimes think we can find it in another person, and you never can. We sometimes think fulfillment and all the rest can come from a bottle, a pill, a party, an experience, a thrill, but it can't. It only comes from one person. And I think this is what Jeremiah is sadly telling the people, you've missed it. And may we today, his church, not miss it, because we live in a generation where there are so many distractions to keep us from finding our joy in Christ, <laughs> our delight in Christ, and our fulfillment in Christ. May we not miss it. This is really important, church. We all long for the very thing that God offers us in Jesus. But can we achieve it without God? No, we can't. And there's no joy in trying. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Return and Have Quiet and Ease, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.